0: This episode of 1801 Live was originally recorded during a 12-hour podcast-a-thon streamed live on August 28th from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. The Give Black Podcast-a-thon benefited U of SC's One Creed One Carolina campaign, which supports initiatives that elevate and encourage Black students, faculty, and staff. Together, our five hosts and over 20 guests helped raise more than $10,000 for the campaign over 12 hours find more information on the podcastathon and the link to donate at www.garnetmedia.org/ giveblack.
1: Game. hey! How we were just you? admiring your uh, we were admiring your your setup there your, your aesthetics your t- props to the decorator if that's you That's that's a nice looking room you got there.
2: Thank you so much so I'm spending time at my vacation home in Puerto Vallata so I've chosen to um, to quarantine a bit here in Puerto Vallata. So.
0: Now, how amazing is that? Well, then, thank you so much for taking some time um, out of your day while you're out on on your vacation home just to talk to us about your experience and how you made your mark here um, at the university. But uh, before getting into it, if you would like to introduce yourself, I know that I've heard it many times and you inspire me every day, but for everyone else to know a little bit about you.
2: Well, hi, everyone. And this is really always an honor to be with Gamecocks. And uh, my name is Jotaika Edie, And I am a proud alumni of the University of South Carolina. I graduated in 2001. I graduated with a degree in political science and a minor in criminal justice. I spent many, many hours at Gambrell Hall. Many, many hours at the Russell House. I was a student leader at the University of South Carolina. My very first organization that I joined at USC was AAAS, Association of African American Students, where I served as um, second vice president, which is a position that is normally held for a freshman leader within the Association of African American Students. I also was an active member of the NAACP, a member of the Student Senate, and had the distinct honor and pleasure of serving as student body president of the University of South Carolina, becoming the first black woman to serve in that position in the university's entire history, which at the time had been 210 years. So it is indeed an honor and a pleasure to be with you all, and I am, now working as the founder and ceo of my own social and uh social impact and political consulting firm full circle strategies where i employ uh many gamecocks and work with a number of gamecocks across the country Um, i've spent time in at the intersection of movement building and politics so working. Um, as a senior advisor to the NAACP and as a C suite executive in Silicon Valley. And so today, what I do is I really try to combine the work that I've done in politics, movement building, and Silicon Valley and tech um, to really help clients across the country help scale impact public affairs and, most importantly for me, help create transformative change.
0: And so, where to start? <laughs> Wow. It's amazing. Amazing. I know that um, we'll touch on all the umbrellas that you just mentioned, but specifically, I just want to start off with you saying that you employ a lot of Game Pop. I know that Lyric works for you, but also just your passion and motto of amplifying Black women and always making sure that they have a platform and just mentorship, whether it is personal, direct, Or even just motivating others. I know you motivate me all the time. So can you talk a little bit about the importance of that and how you do that throughout all of your roles?
2: You know, for me, it's not just it's not just something to do. It's 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 actually for me a call to action. It's an absolute imperative. I believe that we, particularly as black women, are part of a long legacy and a long lineage of Black women that came before us. I know that I can't sit in this very seat that I'm sitting in. I can't be on this platform. I could not have been in many of the rooms that I have had the blessing to be in had it not been for a Black woman whom I never even met or never even lived in her lifetime that did something, that sacrificed, that even took some type of, of mistreatment in order for me to be in the position that I am in today. And for Black women everywhere. And so because I, I know that, I, I live that, I breathe that, for me, it's a responsibility that I have to give back. My mentors, and I have so many Black women that I talk to every single day, some older than me and some younger than me, Some my, my age, that I learn from. But my mentors often um, talk about this important phrase, lift as you climb. Mignon Moore, Donna Brazil, Leah Daughtry, Yolanda Caraway, Tanya Lombard. Uh, There's so many amazing black women, Dr. Hazel, Dukes, that I have the honor of just sitting at their feet and learning. And what they always teach us, women like Melanie Campbell and women like Clayola Brown, what they say is that you have to lift as you climb. And so it's important that as you are moving along no matter what it is that you're doing is that you are helping a black woman come through that same door that you came through because it's, it's yes, you want to break barriers. Yes, you want to be at the table. But for me, if I'm at the table and I'm the only one at the table, then to me, that's a problem. There's not enough at the table. And so we can't just be comfortable to be at the table. We have to ensure that we are doing the work to make sure that others are at the table. We got to make sure that we are changing the systems so that there are no barriers for others to get to the table. So mentorship, for me, both personal and professional, is incredibly important. I now realize I'm 41 years old. I used to be the youngster in the room. I'm now one of the elders in the room to some of the younger women. And so I have to create room. I have to train them up. I have to ensure that not only they are able to step up and do the work that I'm doing, but they do it better than me. And I've had young women say, hey, I wanna be just like you when I grow up. I wanna not grow up, but when I get older, I wanna be like you. And my response to them is if you're like me, then I failed you. I need for you to be better than me. That is the goal. And I think we have to have that mentality in recognizing that we are a part of a long legacy and we have to invest and invest in mentorship and there's a difference between mentorship and sponsorship and we have to actively be sponsors in the lives of young black women and in young black men as well and that sponsorship is doing things actively to help grow them to help position them and to help them excel and that's what we have to take active roles in their lives we have to pick up the phone help get them in a job or a position help position them, help them get an op-ed. I don't need to necessarily sign my name to an op-ed. I've been on plenty of op-eds. I don't necessarily have to give that speech. I've done plenty of speeches. How about let's position someone else so that they're in that position so that the world can see their brilliance. And I think those are the things that we have to start doing and continue to do because my mentors did that for me. And it's an imperative that I do that for the next generation. That's how we win. That's how we progress, and that only makes us stronger.
1: Wow. Wow. Thank you so much, uh, Jateka. I mean I'm th- I'm curious as to you, we, Tan and I talked a little bit about authenticity and what that's like. Show, sort of showing up black in the spaces that, that we operate. And I'd imagine for you operating in a corporate environment, Silicon Valley, op, you know, interacting with with CC professionals, that there's been many times when you've had to sort of um, sort of double down on on that your authentic your authentic blackness and what that looks like. But I'm curious about what was it about your your U of S C experience that informed how you, you know, enter your, your, your professional life or your, your, your personal life and sort of some of the things that you've talked about as well.
2: You know, my USC experience has probably been one of the most profound experiences that I've had in my life. And so I've experienced, you know, just so much as a student. And I often talk about professors that have profound impact on my life and shape who I am today namely two professors, Dr. Cleveland Sellers and Dr. Donnie Fowler. Those are the two professors that when I think about my day-to-day life, what I do in my practice of my day-to-day life, the lessons that I learned from both Dr. Sellers and Dr. Fowler have really informed not only my politics but also how I am consistently reminded of the legacy of what it means to be an advocate and an activist. And you know, while I was at USC, there were many times when we as black students had to protest. There was, and I'll tell you the story when I was a freshman at the university, there was an, an issue in which the way student organizations were funded was, was quite different. And as you probably very well know, both you, Julian, and Hannah, that student government had a say, and the Student Finance Committee had a say in allocation for for student organizational budgets. And there was a move to begin to shift budget allocations. At the time, if you looked at uh, AAAS, uh, NAACP, and an organization which represented Latino students, received uh, a, a good portion of funding. Those organizations actually did a lot of work and they had very large organizations, um, very large membership. And there was a move to shift the budget. And when you looked at what happened with that budget fight, the end result was that the budgets of AAAS, NAACP, and the Latino Student Organizing Group had been truncated and it was all the exact same amount of what AAAS used to get. And so it was upside down budget priorities. And so we as uh, students organized, I'll never forget. And this is a funny story. I don't even know the university. I think the university knows this. So we wanted to use the university materials. And so you know how when you go downstairs, it used to be in the Russell House. Downstairs was where student affairs used to be. And so we went into the student affairs office, the Office of Multicultural Affairs. And we had a meeting, it was like 10 or 11 o'clock and they locked the Russell House doors at 11 o'clock at night, but you can get out, but you can't get in. So we were very, very quiet when they came by to lock the doors so that we could stay inside the Russell House and use all the materials and organize. Um, And I never forget, like we stayed in there all night, we used all the materials. We had like the Russell House to ourselves um they locked the door so we were in there late doing the work they didn't we were kind of quiet they didn't know we were still in there we used all the materials and we came out the next day yams I don't know why we came out with that name but yams young angry minority students that's what we came out with we had a protest and we were we remembered that like so there's a rule technical rule that if you miss so much time in class it counts as an absence so you can't be there fifteen minutes after class starts. You can't leave fifteen. You fifteen minutes before. So classes. It was a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So classes started at um, I think twelve fifteen. And so we had the rally, or classes ended at 12.15, but we had a time where it was a student walkout because class ended at 12.15. So the walkout was at 12.00 noon, so that you could walk out of class and your professor technically could not give you an absence. So we had a massive walkout. We had a massive rally. I'll never forget this. It was this big controversy because Jamel Franklin, at the time, who was the student body president, spoke at the rally. And as a result, the Student Senate tried to impeach him. So there was an impeachment trial against the student body president at the time, Jamel Franklin, who's now very active in Maryland politics, because he spoke out. But we came out as, as, as Black students to say, hey, we will not stand for you to shrink our budgets. We will not allow this to happen. And we had a big issue with the treatment of Black students in the student newspaper. Um, and so we had this massive march. We had this massive rally. I think you go back to the student Gamecock, you probably could see it. But that was really one of those moments where we as black students came together and really fought. A- another time at USC um, was a time in which, you know, we saw uh, police officers come on campus on horses and it was an incident on campus and it was a- a- an unfortunate incident among students, but the the response was this level of police on horses riding around, not riding around, but walking around campus because of this altercation that took place between uh, at an event that was held. Uh, it was a fraternity event, and that was another time where we came together to 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 speak out. And so I just say all this to say that there were just many times at USC where we as black students knew that we had to speak out consistently. Um, other times when we were fighting for Dr. Cleveland Sellers, uh, when there was an opening for the chairmanship of the Department of African American Studies, and it's a no-brainer. That should be Dr. Cleveland Sellers with his legacy and, and everything that he taught. He's now the president of Voorhees College. Uh, but, but there had been this moment after moment after moment. I remember even when I was student body president, that there was a moment, and I think it ties full circle with what's happening now, um, is that I was student body president during the time that the Strong Thurman Wellness Center was, was built and when the Strong Thurman Wellness Center was the groundbreaking. And I'll never forget being asked to show up to the groundbreaking. And I struggled, like, do I go to this groundbreaking? They wanna have a shovel for me. And I just could not in any good faith as student body president stand at that ground and smile for the cameras with a, a symbolic shovel and smile as a building with someone as divisive and has such an openly racist um, track record and comments as Strong Thurmond named to be erected onto our campus. And so I did not attend and boycotted the event and did not attend uh, the groundbreaking. And so, those were a personal moment when I had struggled, even as student body president. And what I had to always remind myself is that, yes, I represent the University of South Carolina as student body president. I represent all the students at the University of South Carolina. I'm also a black woman. And in good faith, I can't sit here and personally smile for the cameras as this name is being erected on our campus and it doesn't represent and or reflect everybody on our campus um and so those are just some some of the stories of times back at USC where we as as black students organized uh, where we stood up and then there are times where we came together to unify um the campus and and pulled together great events that unified and, and brought us together um, as as a whole university fighting for a day on um, and not a day off, which MLK Day was not a holiday at the University of South Carolina. So when I was a student there, we held marches and we organized so that it was a day, uh, an official holiday at the University of South Carolina. So I'm very proud of the work that we all did as Black students. But again, that work was built on the legacy of of great university leaders like, Mon, you, know, I, you know, you think, look at, you know, Harry Solomon, Carl, Carl Solomon, you look at people like Myron Terry and Steve Benjamin and, and others that, you know, really paved the way and really set the ground for people like myself and others and my generation to come. And our hope is that we help set the groundwork for your generation to come and continue to lift up that work.
0: Absolutely. It's crazy and inspiring to hear everyone's story today, but specifically a few, a lot of individual stories and testimonies like yours. I know you mentioned Dr. Sellers multiple times and he came on earlier as well as uh, Mayor Benjamin. And so it's just amazing and an honor, I think for both Julian coming in now as uh, the you know vice president of diversity and inclusion and then me as a student to see see history and hear these stories and how yes my great friend is like I just talked to him or I know Dr. Uh, Donaldson was like I came in and it was me and Dr. Littlefield and I was like she was on this morning so love her <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic and it's amazing for me just to hear these stories but I want to know your advice for students right now I know that you and um, the group that you came in with with in the alum or in the university was very vocal about things that you guys wanted done and you were very strategic about it but for students right now especially during this time what is your advice um I know Julian talked about how we are stakeholders and so what is your advice in order to be strategic um in order to make the university a better place for us and our experiences but also as a whole um because we love it so much so
2: I think it goes to that first point that that you raised and what Julian says is so important is that The students at the university, you're stakeholders. And the first and most important thing is to view yourself as a part of this university. You are a stakeholder. You are very much as integrated and an important part of this university than anyone else. Never view yourself as an outsider. Never view yourself as, as, as not as important. You are integral. And I think that's the first thing that you have to know your power. And recognizing your power is knowing who you are at the table and that you belong at the table. And when you know that you belong at the table, that then gives you, I think, the bit more ability and the boldness to speak at the table. Because there's no, for me, I believe that, like, if you're going to have a seat at the table, you're wasting that seat if you're not, if you're not willing to speak up. And sometimes you have to speak even when it's uncomfortable. And sometimes you have to speak if everyone at the table might not like what you have to say. It's always important to be respectful when you speak at the table um, and respect everyone at the table, but it doesn't mean that you have to shrink while you're at the table. And I think that's one piece of advice that I would have. The second I would have is just, again, being very strategic about your approach um, and really looking at, and I always look to Uh, as core masters very often will say, there's nothing new under the sun, it's just your turn. Um, And so you look at strategies of the past and let those strategies inform you and then you add the techniques of today that informs your strategy and your action. So, you know, I think, and I I marvel at the work that, you know, that students are are doing now and how you're speaking up around the global health pandemic. How you're speaking up around, I was just so moved to see students and former student athletes organizing around the Strong Thurmond Center. I, I think that students absolutely should be speaking up and speaking out about how that affects them as students at the University of South Carolina. I believe in. Uh, uh, I would dare, I, I mean, Julia could definitely, I don't want to speak for Julia, but I think the university welcomes that. They want to hear that feedback. Um, Absolutely. The, the university wants to hear that. And, and it's important that in your organizing that you amplify those voices in a way that they're heard, um, that's visible, and that's consistent. You have to be consistent and, and know that change may not happen overnight. It took us years to get MLK Day as a holiday at the university. And it was a multi-pronged strategy. It was a strategy of going to the university and, and, and making the, the the claims, making sure academically we're not because you're losing a day, quote, academically, you know, what other universities sharing research, you know, and giving the university really a case to the university of why this was important. And then there was the public pressure. There was a student marching and the student rallies. uh, That was another part of putting pressure. And then there was the media uh, pressure of making sure that it wasn't happening in a silo and that that the greater Columbia and the whole entire state could see that students were fighting for this. And all of that combined together helped create an environment that allowed us to move to have a day off. And the University of South Carolina was pioneering in that. We were the first uh, 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 we were the first and we had ML, uh, honored MLK Day before the state uh, uh, even honored MLK Day. Same with the Confederate flag. The University of South Carolina was the first public institution to call for the Confederate flag to be removed. Uh, it started, I'm very proud to have authored the student legislation and student Senate that you know, was a part of that movement. Um, and Alice English during his time on the Board of Trustees Uh, authored uh, and pushed for the resolution from the university's board of trustees and the University of South Carolina. That's something that makes me extremely proud. When we hear about the legacy of the Confederate flag in the the state of South Carolina, it's, it's a proud moment for me to say the University of South Carolina was the first public institution in the state to officially call for that flag to be removed. Now that flag would not be removed, but some more than 10 years later, but the University of South Carolina was first. The University of South Carolina acknowledged the pain as they knew that students that went to the University of South Carolina were hurt by that flag that we had to walk past going to and from our campus every day. So there are times when we have organized and it has been a multi-pronged strategy that have resulted in the university being a part of moving our state and our community forward.
1: So amazing! Thank you so 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 much. Yeah, we could do. We could have done this uh, the entire day. I, I I have questions about the vacation home. I need to. they need to get on the vacation. We're all trying to get to that vac- vacation home level. But no, we're just. I'm just so thankful that I even have spent this short time. Just uh, thank is you great. so much, Julian. I'm uh, so excited
2: about your leadership at the university and i've only heard great things about you and i'm excited to be a partner and and work with you and hannah of course i'm just still so excited about your leadership at the university of south carolina and um only um just i'm just excited about what is to come i think we're in um a very perilous time in our nation uh and and our state and 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 I believe that really it is going to be the the future right now. And I think the intersection of young people and how they will speak up and how they will lead us is going to be incredibly pivotal to our future. And so that makes me excited. and it makes me extremely hopeful. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I really love these conversations about times at the university because it just sort of kind of takes me back. I was like, oh yeah, I never forget like the whole young angry minority suit. Is the time we, we stayed in the Russell House all night. Uh, maybe they might like sort of kind of revisit that. I don't know if they're still locking up the Russell House and not checking to see if people are really still in the building. Um, <laughs> But I'm just super excited. And you know, I love the University of South Carolina. We all love the University of South Carolina. Um, and I'm just excited about what we can do together and how the University of South Carolina can propel us forward.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so, so, so much. I know
2: you so mentioned
0: much. that um you have many inspirations that were on this podcast, but you are one of mine as well. So please thank you for all that you have done and all that you continue to do and your words. Do not go without action so definitely took note about everything that you have said and i'm looking forward to speaking with you soon but thank you so 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 much
2: great thank you and i am making a financial commitment i actually uh commit and uh support the richard t greener scholarship fund um, and it's, it's, it's one of the most important uh, contributions that I make every year, but I am making uh, a doubling my commitment today to support the Richard T. Greener Scholarship Fund. It is an important fund. Richard T. Greener is so important to the legacy mm-hmm. of the University of South Carolina. Um, and I'm just so honored um, to, to share that legacy with Richard T. Greener. Uh, of the University of South Carolina being something that connects us. So um, thank you so much for the work that you do um, and to highlight this very important scholarship fund. Thank you for everything. Thank you so much.
1: Perfect. Thanks for all you do.
2: Take care and come visit me. Bye. I am actually working here. I'm, I, there's not much <laughs> happening. Uh,
1: thank you so much. We might take uh, you off on that.
2: Take care. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> Go GameCops. Okay.